What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, welcome to part three of the top 50 albums of 2003 countdown here on Rock Strikes 10. The countdown decided by me, myself, and I, and I think I have put together a stellar list of albums here for you in the year of 2003. This episode is going to feature some excellent, excellent music off of some great records, and the fact that it's only going to get better should really scare you. No, I, I don't mean to be dramatic, but once we get into the top 20, it's going to get even better, and the top 10 is just going to rule, so... Let's get right into it here. Coming in at number 30, the best album that this guy had pulled in almost a decade. His best since 100% Fun, which is my personal favorite by this man. But Matthew Sweet, definitely in a return to form in perception and in song quality with this album. Kimigasuki, if I'm saying that correct, which is a Japanese phrase loosely translated into I Love You. And apparently he wrote this album specifically for the people of Japan because he was doing really well over there and he wrote this album supposedly as a thank you to them so that's really nice that's really sweet and no pun intended but yes also bringing back earlier band members of his the guys that worked on some of those popular records in the early and mid 90s with him like Girlfriend most famously of course and good record like I said I'd, I'm more of a 100% fun guy but Girlfriend is a very very good record I'm weird, what can I say? But also, maybe I'm weird because I really, really dig this record. Honestly, I had kind of given up on him at the dawn of the 21st century, but I definitely shouldn't have because this is a really good record and it comes in at number 30 here on the list. So we're going to kick things off with a really cool track here by Matthew Sweet, and this one's called Dead Smile. Away from everything 
Kicking off the show here today with a perfect three-minute power pop, glorious heavy jam right there. That was Matthew Sweet with Dead Smile. So freaking good, man. That reminds me of like one of those really good early Elvis Costello album openers like No Action or Welcome to the Working Week where they, they just plug in and go. And I love that so much. What a standard bear we have set with that song. Okay, so coming in at number 29... This album right here, much like a few other albums I've talked about on this countdown, when it came out, I might have felt a little disappointed by it. And I think I figured out what the problem was with some of these records. And with a record like this, for instance, it really does require your full attention, which kind of sounds a little pretentious, but I've talked multiple times on this countdown about how I was working at CD Warehouse and everything, and there are just certain records you put on in stores like that, or if you're just working, they don't really play at work like that. They just don't really register, and this is one of those albums, because I think I predominantly listened to it at the store, and I never gave it my full headphone listen. I just feel like I didn't, because... I just recently listened to this album a few weeks ago again to review it, and it was like night and day from when I first heard it. It really opened up on the headphones, listening to the lyrics. Like, really, this is just one of those bands that you need to do that with, I feel like, for the most part. And that would be the Cardigans. And this right here, their fifth album called Long Gone Before Daylight. Now, there's some people that didn't really like the Cardigans after they first hit really hard in America with First Band on the Moon, which was their third album. And of course, they had the big hit with Love Fool and everything, but that song and a handful of their other songs, yeah, they're upbeat and they're very catchy, and they are normally a very catchy band, but they don't necessarily always write happy songs. That's kind of the misnomer about them, is that they're usually a lot more emotional and hard-on-their-sleeve kind of band. So like those little spurts of vulnerability and positivity are very few and far between when it comes to the cardigans. So just in case you didn't know that, that's kind of what they're all about. That's why Love Fool and they're only considered a one-hit wonder in the States, which is a crime because they're better than that. There's a lot of bands like that, but them especially, I always point to them. They write really good songs. They always have really good records. And it's that thing, what is in the water in Sweden, man, some of the best music ever produced comes out of Sweden and they are no exception. So if you've never given the cardigans a real chance, you need to do it like with the headphones on, do a full record, really pick any of them. And not that the first two records aren't good, but especially anything after that really just opens up the listening experience. The instruments are always so well produced. And I know I'm a production nerd. I talk about this a good amount on the show. But their stuff sounds great in the headphones. It's that cliche. It feels like you're in the studio. So, 
yeah, give their records a chance because they're definitely worth it. And I was completely wrong about this record. It is a very good record. It comes in here at number 29 on the countdown. So hopefully you're listening on headphones right now or you're in your your car and you can turn it up a little bit. Or if you're listening to it on a nice stereo at home, synced up, you know, with Bluetooth or whatever, whatever you're doing with this podcast, check this one out. I think it's going to sound real impressive if you have the means. So here is the cardigans with a good horse. It takes no match to give me a spark. Now I'm trying out another horse. I've been whining about a fresh start. I found myself a good horse. Listening to this show and you're from another country that's not the United States, I, I'm just curious as to whether or not like your local terrestrial stations are playing stuff like the Cardigans in the 21st century because I know they weren't doing that over here. And if I may be so old, 
if they had continued to play the Cardigans on regular pop radio at the dawn of the 21st century, it really would massively expose just how much it really is just amateur hour on the average when it comes to pop music in the 21st century, which is very sad. But yeah, a song like that would pretty much melt almost anything playing at that point. That's how I feel about it. But that was the Cardigans with a good horse off of Long Gone Before Daylight. And as we get into number 28 here, these two records, the Cardigans record and this one, I I put them kind of together on the list because it's kind of when you hit that fork in the road, it's like, do you go with the yin or the yang? And I don't think either of these records are better than the other. Someone else could probably judge that. I, I cannot. It's like the two extreme sides of my taste when it comes to rock bands. But here at number 28 is not even arguably, I think it's definitely this band's heaviest album for a band that has a decent amount of metal cred, I think, but they basically just got lumped into the prog rock scene, which is fine. But I, in my opinion, they've always had good metal cred. Those guys can play metal when they want to. But they definitely did on this record right here, despite not giving up on the prog as well. But Dream Theater, with their album Train of Thought, came out here kind of towards the end of 2003, in the fall. And not that they didn't have other records that would be considered pretty decently heavy metal, but I think this is their overall heaviest if I had to put a vote to it. Pretty cool right here, co-produced by band members Mike Portnoy and John Petrucci, who, as you may know... They're back together again. Mike Portnoy's back in Dream Theater. That was good news towards the end of the year. A little Christmas miracle there. And looking forward to seeing what they do. Kind of in the late stages of their career, possibly. But, I mean, I don't know. Are they going to stick around for a long time now? Like, I don't know if they have plans to hang it up after a while. This is like the beginning of their last act. I don't know. But I'm happy to see it. I feel like it's kind of right that Portnoy's back in the band. And I think when Mike and John just recently toured together, uh, that was definitely the start of them getting back together. So really cool to see. If you are one of those metal guys and you think that Dream Theater is not heavy enough, then you probably haven't dug hard enough. But this record, I think, could definitely change that opinion that they're not heavy enough. So get into it. Train of Thought by Dream Theater right here. And there's so many freaking long songs, just like any other records. And I usually do the bit where, hey, let's go with the shortest good song on here. I kind of went with a decently long song, but we're not getting into the double digits here. We've got around seven and a half minutes for this one, but I've always liked the album opener, so I'm going with it. So here is Dream Theater with As I Am.
All right, Dream Theater coming in at number 28 here on the Top 50 Albums, the 2003 countdown right there. That was As I Am from the album Train of Thought. And I didn't even plan it this way, but I think this is kind of interesting. We go from a metal band that does a lot of prog into uh, basically a band that came out of the ashes of a punk rock band that went prog. And what a different, unique thing to happen to music. I don't think that happens too often. Just really blew me away when I first heard it. And so at the dawn of the 2000s, or the 21st century, as I've been referring to it as such, so there's this band at the drive-in over here from the very, very west side of Texas in El Paso. And a band that most of us only discovered, a lot of us only discovered, right at the tail end of their career on their third album relationship of command and then they break up like right after that they're getting famous and they just break up i i still don't know why i've never actually dug into the whole why thing but basically the band split in two some people went and formed a band called sparta who i'm not a big fan of and the band that i did become a big fan of was the other split of the at the drive-in band which is the mars volta and it seemed to come out of nowhere, from what I recall, this debut album here called Deloused and the Comatorium, which, it, it, true to Prague, right there, is apparently it's a conceptual album about a friend of theirs who overdosed and died. And that's it in its basic explanation. There's a longer story to it, but it's a prog rock album with a concept, with a short story treatment. The whole works. Omar Rodriguez Lopez really went hard on the concept here. And just to the final stamp of finishing this record, they got Storm Thurgason to do not only the album cover, but the back cover as well. I mean, that's pure prog right there. So hats off to you guys. And I still enjoy listening to this record. I'm a Mars Volta fan. And of course, there's a couple of fun facts involved within the production of this album, not just the Storm Thurgason stuff, but... The fact that it's got Rick Rubin as the producer credited on this record doesn't sound like anything he would do to me, but hey, I often criticize him as just being an A&R guy, and I I feel like that's how he produces, and I think that that's right, actually. But also, you got Flea playing bass on the record, which is easily the most interesting thing he's probably ever played on, let's be honest. And I think he played on the second record as well. I'm not quite sure about that, but we'll find out when we get to it. Because I can tell you for damn sure, Francis Zemuda is going to do very well on my countdown coming up at some point here. But yes, back into the debut album, Mars Volta, Delouse in the Comatorium. It is a truly cool experience. So here's a standout track from an early song on the record. And for the sake of the show, I'm going to try to pronounce this. I've never been able to pronounce it properly, but here you go. This is Inner Shattuck. ESP. Sure. Okay. Enjoy.
Okay, coming in at number 27 right there, that was the Mars Volta and their album Deloused in the Comatorium, and that was Intershatic ESP, if I'm even saying that right. I still don't know if I am, but I know that that record is really, really good. And we're in a high level of scoring right here already, even though we're pretty much almost legitimately halfway through this countdown. We're in like the late 80s, early 90s portion of the scoring out of 100, so... These are all super duper quality records. Proof positive with this album coming in right here at number 26, a big one. Definitely one that sold a lot of copies. An album that may actually lay claim to the biggest rock anthem of the decade. That's probably arguable and debatable and everything, but the kickoff track on this record, this song has not only maintained its popularity, over the last few decades, but I think it might have even become bigger, which is insane to think, because it was huge when it came out. But yeah, would you say that Seven Nation Army is the biggest rock anthem of the entire decade? No, that's a, that's a good one to throw out there, but let me know what you think. But yes, that is the kickoff track from Elephant by the White Stripes, an album that actually got released on April Fool's Day of 2003. And I still remember this. They boasted the fact that while a lot of other bands, or pretty much every band ever, recording on as many multi-track boards as you possibly can, I think we're up to 32 or something at this point, I remember them boasting that this album was recorded on an 8-track machine, and none of the gear they used was less than 40 years old. So there you, there you go. Jack White, a true traditionalist in a very strict sense right there. 
Uh, but yes, Elephant, very super, super quality record. And hell, even one of my all-time favorite bands, Anthrax, they covered Black Math off of this record, track two, actually. Uh, but yeah, so you could pretty much pick any song off of this, and it would totally represent the album properly. Not only Seven Nation Army, I mean, so many cool tunes on here. Hardest Button to Button is great, of course, together single. Even the back rack, I just don't know what to do with myself cover. It's all good, but I'm going to go with this one right here. This one's always been a favorite and very much an unconventional long song by the White Stripes. While all their other songs average around three, four minutes, this one's about double that. So, but it, it always is, it's always kept my attention. And even just seeing it right here on the board, never realized that it was actually this long. But here you go. Here's a seven minute White Stripes song right here that I thoroughly enjoy. Off of the album Elephant, this is Ball and Biscuit.
some great guitar soloing right there all manic and weird and stuff very unconventional but yeah, he definitely belongs on that list of one of the better living guitar players at this point for sure he's earned it and also just keeping traditional rock and roll alive on principle i think you gotta at least pat him on the back man people that are that big of a personality like a jack white or a dave Grohl, they get a lot of shit but I think it's unjust because I think they do their job very, very well. And I think they've done nothing wrong with representing rock and roll in the 21st century. So give it up for those guys, damn it. All right. Someone I definitely give it up for on a consistent basis here during a lot of these countdowns is a gentleman, a Canadian gentleman by the name of Devin Townsend. I've called him a near genius in the past and a guy that has mastered what I call true world music and by that i mean just music when i hear it i was like you could shoot this into outer space and if the aliens are out there and they just happen to hear it it'd be a great representation of how we might actually be open to living together and, and the whole thing damn it but yeah that's what i love about Devin townsend's music especially his solo output so when he was doing the strapping young lad band starting in the early 90s up through the 2000s I didn't pay him too much mind because I guess I had maybe had heard the wrong songs, especially on some of the earlier records. And I wasn't that into it. I'm like, of course, like a lot of these bands, a lot of quote unquote death bands and whatever in extreme metal, musically they got it going on, but I could just never get into the vocals. And I was like, I know this guy. He can sing. He sang on the fucking Vi record that I liked so much, or at least most of it. And so, yeah, I was like, damn, man. I just can't get into it. And they had a lot of buzz. I just felt like I wasn't going to be a part of this one. But when their third album came out, which interestingly enough is their self-titled record here in 2003 called Strapping Young Lad, the sound definitely evolved into something that was more appealing to my personal taste and what I like to hear on records, basically. Devin's singing a lot more. There's less of the guttural or growl kind of thing. So now you've got all the elements that I can get down with. So yeah, they, they had to lighten it up just a bit, which sounds absurd because when you hear this song, you're going to be like, this is mellowing out. It's like, yeah, I, sort of, kind of, I mean, not musically at all. But if you've never checked out Strapping Young Lad, then you're in for a huge awakening at this point with this track I'm going to play. So from the self-titled Strapping Young Lad record, this is the very aptly titled Relentless. Turn it up.
as we get into the halfway mark on this top 50 albums, the 2003 countdown, I feel like you needed a bit of a wake-up call. Yeah, get up, shake yourself, stretch, and what better way to do it than with Strapping Young Lad and that track right there, Relentless, off of their self-titled album, coming at number 25 here on the countdown. So I've given you a few crazy prog-type tracks here on the show. I played a White Stripe song, but I didn't play an obvious one. I played a weird long one, and then I played Strapping Young Lad. So let's have some fun, at least uh, turn the pop sensibility all the way up here. Even though we're going a bit quote unquote indie, which I I think that term is fucking stupid. Let, let's let's dig into this for a second. I definitely have a massive fucking sidebar rant coming up here. Soapbox City, Tenement Square, is that what we call it? Okay. But I gotta get something off my chest. I've probably said this before on the show, but I, I feel like this bears repeating over and over and over again until it becomes a thing. Indie music, indie rock, that is a stupid fucking term for the most part because, yeah, obviously there are independent bands out there, but the fact that people think that indie music and indie rock is some sort of sound in some way and they define it by just certain particular bands, usually like lo-fi, not-too-loud type of bands that that do the music in their living rooms. Yeah, obviously, if you don't have any kind of budget and you're not on any kind of major label, by definition, you are an independent band. Congratulations! But calling major label alternative bands indie rock is like the stupidest thing, really. Top five stupidest music things that happened this century so far. Fuck all that. Like, you're, you're something else. You're not indie rock. When you were on an independent label, yeah, you could say you were, but once you sign that deal and you quote-unquote sell out, then you're not an indie band anymore. And I hate when people ride that name just to get that cool credibility. Fuck all that. Anyway, sorry. There, there you have it. And obviously, I like this band, so I'm not using them to trash it. I think that's more of just the fans doing that kind of thing because I don't know if I've ever heard a band from any band in an interview and not that I've dug a whole lot, but I've never known them to say, yeah, we're an indie band. So yeah, I don't know. So I was telling you my perception of indie band being kind of lo-fi, low energy type stuff. This band is anything but that, but I can guarantee you somebody's called this band an indie rock band at some point. But to me, they're just pure rock slash punk slash garage, however you want to call it, but a lot of energy behind this band and when this album came out, I was like, man, because I'd heard their EP, you know, the little hype EP as some people put out in their careers prior to their full length album release. And once the full length came out, I think me and everybody else was ready for it. So, yeah, this album that comes in here at number 24 is the debut full length album by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. This is a really killer rock album. If you were an active music fan in 2003, you definitely heard the single Maps. Really, really cool song. I guess decently unconventional for them at the time, but a good breakout single for them. And I pretty much love this whole record, still, still to this day. But for me, it's always been about this song right here. And I definitely will put this, whenever I do an Earworm episode, this one goes on the list for sure. Because every time I hear it, it stays in the head for days on end. This song is called Pen.
Coming in at number 24 here on the top 50 albums, the 2003 countdown from the album Fever to Tell. That was the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and that song was called Pen, P-I-N. Hope you enjoyed that. How could you not? If you've got any kind of soul for rock and roll in your body, I, I don't know how you don't like that, but hey, I, who knows? One last interesting note about Fever to Tell. I did notice that the album was mixed by Alan Mulder, who, really good mixer right there, and... He was on the board for one of my all-time favorite albums right there, Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness. And here's a band that will be touring with the Smashing Pumpkins this year. And I don't see why I won't be at this show, playing at the ballpark about 10 minutes from the house. Well, in a sense, I'm right about this. Let's go back. So this band right here that comes in at number 23 here on the countdown, officially they are called The Network. So... I started hearing about this release, probably more so along the lines of the re-release that happened a year after it came out. So technically, I probably got a hold of this record in 2004, if I had to guess. But it officially got released in 2003 on an independent label in California called Adeline Records, which, if you follow the money, Billy Joe Armstrong is one of the main guys for that label. That's his vanity label. So... That and the Foxborough Hot Tubs record a few years later, all these kind of things that Billy Joe Armstrong seems to be singing on always appear on this label. So there you have it. The network is Green Day in costume, which I think initially they might have been a little bit able to mask that identity for, for a bit because they kind of had all five members actively dressing up and on stage when they would play shows and and how they appeared in publicity photos. It just looked like this weird new band that was doing a costume gimmick. But once you put the record on, you're like, yeah, it's it's Green Day. And supposedly some of this material was getting worked on prior to the American Idiot record. And I think some of this stuff was going to be on the Green Day follow-up. Uh, I, I forget what it's called. It was going to be like cigarettes and something. But the album ultimately didn't get released because apparently the master tapes got stolen. They went back to the drawing board. They put American Idiot out and they become an even bigger band at that point. So there's the quick on that. So I think some of the germs of the songs that wound up on this network album were maybe from that unreleased album. That's a little bit of a guess, but I feel like I'm right about that. But what I really dig about the network 
is not only the fact that it's Green Day, and I'm a Green Day fan, but they definitely went into full bougie boy mode right here, just embracing their Devo side and just basically making a Devo record at the end of the day. I mean, some of the songs just completely sound like Green Day songs, but then a good amount of them do sound like Devo songs, and that's really, really great for me. So if you've never heard this, go look it up. It's it you know it's not going to be under the Green Day feed on on your listening things. It's going to be under the network. And this particular album, they only have two, as Money Money 2020 is the name of this record. Not to be confused with the second album, Money Money 2020 Part Two. But let's start with the first one here. Uh, but yeah, fun record for me, and it does really well in this countdown. This one I've always loved just because it's such an absurd song. And definitely fits in with the theme of what I like about it. So, from Money Money 2020, which is actually the official name of it, this is Hungry Hungry Models. right there with hungry hungry models from money money 2020 hope you enjoyed that let me know if you ever knew about that or if that's the first time you're hearing about it or if you didn't know about foxborough hot tubs or any of those other things that are green day 
basically. So, yeah, of course, Green Day will more than likely be back next year on the 2004 albums countdown for sure, because American Idiot will probably do pretty well on my countdown. But I'd be curious to see where it lands. Speaking of where it lands, these last two entries right here, I swear these two entries were the hardest ones to zero in on as far as who goes here, because these two records were in and out of the 11 through 20 slots so much, and then I moved them around with other albums. It was a damn nightmare trying to get some sort of ranking going on here for this top part, especially around here. Like I said, hardest part of the countdown for sure. And I'm so surprised that both of these albums are not in the top 20, but here you have it. Let me know if they're just perfectly rated, as some friends of mine would say, or if you think they're too low. I'm curious, and I wouldn't even argue with you if you said too low about these two records. So let's get into it. Coming in at number 22 is this band's comeback record. It was their first studio album in 13 years, at least under this name. That would be Jane's Addiction. And probably one of my biggest music disappointments of this year was the fact that I feel that the Jane's Addiction comeback album here called Strays, I feel like it's a super strong record. And the fact that, at least in my neck of the woods, nobody really seemed to care. It came out and no one really paid any mind to it. Some of the hardcore fans, I know we talked about it and it's like, man, this is really good. Like it was surprisingly good. And if anything... And this could be due to the fact that Bob Ezrin produced this comeback album, Strays. But maybe it turned some people off thinking that they were going to be still like super weird and young and everything. But they turned in this like real ready for the arenas type rock album. It's a hard rock album. And not that they weren't always hard rock. I mean, they came up in the late 80s in Los Angeles playing a lot of those gigs with pop metal bands and stuff like that. But they ushered in a new wave for Los Angeles. Them and Mother Love Bone like really changed the game out there. But the fact that they turned in like basically a hard rock album in 2003 when the quote-unquote indie rock and all that those kind of sounds were the flavor of the time i guess that's why people really didn't pay any mind to this record and it's so sad because this album freaking rips i think it's great i still listen to it and if you never heard it before you got to give it a listen and all the singles off of it super strong i really liked just because i really liked superhero all that stuff I think, what, what did Superhero wind up becoming the, the theme song to Entourage? One of the songs off of this record became the theme to Entourage, which is, is kind of sad because I'm not a big Entourage guy, and I guess people will just forever associate something off of this record with that, which maybe kind of hurts it in the long run. I don't know. But maybe you're a fan. I apologize. I've never really given it a shot. But getting back to this actual record here, I, I struggled to pick a song to represent this, but... Wanted to go with this one. I felt like this was the most ritual, de lo habitual sounding type song on it. So it's a little bit of a handshake in for people that didn't give it a shot, that really love those first three releases, and I do as well. So I went with something like this. So let me know what you think. Here is Jane's Addiction with Price I Pay.
it's the price. Always the price up. Jane's Addiction right there, coming in at number 22 with their comeback album, Strays. Maybe the uh, other thing why some people didn't give it a proper shot is that maybe some people didn't consider that a full-blown reunion. And technically it's not, because Eric Avery's not in the band for this record, and they got Chris Chaney on bass. Chris Chaney, good bass player, very capable and everything, and I guess just the fact that he's mostly known as a session guy turned off some people, but they really shouldn't have, because this record, like I said, really does rock, and it's really great. So you should go check it out if you never have. Okay, the last entry here. Now, when I throw this one down, you're going to be like, wow. I mean, I guess this isn't like an upper echelon, like super-duper popular record by the fan base, but I know it's well-liked. 
I would say some people use the cliche, not in the all-time top three records by this band, but definitely not in the bottom three either. It kind of goes in the middle there. But still a good quality record standing alone here in 2003. Once again, I can't believe it's not higher than this, but that's just the way it is. Once you hear the top 20, you'll probably be like, okay, at least most of you will, I think. But in 2003, riding high off of their big reunion with their classic lead singer at the dawn of the decade, that would be Iron Maiden after Brave New World, which massively heralded record amongst the fan base. It did well. The tour did well. They played all over the world, just like they always do. But Bruce is back in the band. It's a big deal. And Brave New World is a very, very good record. It's up there. One of the best main records of all time. So the Dance of Death record that followed it had a big, big task in front of it. And creatively and musically, I I don't think it's a bad record at all. But it's, like I said, it was just tough to follow up Brave New World. If you listen to it on its own, outside of that context, it works a lot better. And it's been a while since I've listened to Brave New World, so I definitely had my best experience with this album very recently. This was another one where I talked about this before on the countdown. I used to play it a lot at the CD store, and it works on certain levels, but I think the true thing about the record just doesn't get accomplished, like a lot of records, or most any records. It doesn't really get accomplished when you're distracted with other things. So listening to this on the headphones while I went out walking at night, it really helped the record for me. So yeah, I like Dance of Death. You could nitpick about how terrible the album cover is, and it's not a great album cover. And they should have gone with the original Lone Grim Reaper Eddie cover as opposed to the Eyes Wide Shut cover. But hey, hey. all that being said, once again, perception is reality. Some people do judge the book by its cover. It's a thing. But it, it, it serves as a decent sequel to Brave New World. So I think if you haven't given this one a shot in a while, give it another shot, especially if you haven't heard Brave New World in a while, like I hadn't. So this time around, I really responded to a couple of songs that happened towards the end of the record. And I was actually so torn. And I know one of these was a proper single, so it's going to be a little bit more well-known. But it didn't really matter to me because I'm like, singles don't really matter <laughs> at this point in time with rock and roll or any type of rock band. So the singles don't really matter. If they've played it a lot on stage, then it makes it matter a lot more. And in this case, for one of these songs, that is the case. But I was so torn between Passchendaele and Face in the Sand. I really thought that those were the standout songs on the record. And they're back to back towards the end of the album. So I I just, I hit up my buddy Pete, Pete LaRussa of the CNJ Radio family. And when I can't decide and it's something like this, I'm going to turn right to him and go, dude, which one do I play? And he didn't hesitate. He was like, play Passchendaele. I was like, okay, there you go. So this one goes especially out to you. Pete, my brother, happy new year. And this one is especially for you. But everybody else out there, let's join in solidarity and upping the irons. This is Iron Maiden with Passchendaele. In a foreign field he lay, lonely soldier, unknown grave. On his dying words he prays, tell the world of Passchendaele. (laughs) 
what he's been through Last communion of his soul Rust your boots with his tears Let me tell you about his years Laying low in a blood-filled trench Killing time from a veil Death on my face I can feel the falling rain Never see my friends again It's the smoke and the mud and the rest Smell the fear and the feeling of death Took the time to go over the wall Rapid fire on the end of 
See my spirit on the wind Across the lands beyond the hill Friend and foe will meet again Those who died at Passchendaele Coming in at number 21 here on the top 50 albums of 2003 Countdown and closing off the show here today, that was Iron Maiden with Passchendaele, a Smith-Harris composition right there. Hope you enjoyed that. If you were like, man, that's a long song. Well, that that's what Maiden does in their post-reunion with Bruce Dickinson comeback era in the 21st century. Maiden is basically a prog band now. They still rule, but they pivoted massively over into this direction uh, after dabbling in it for so many years. But yes, hope you enjoyed that. Hope you give Dance of Death another shot here. And I'm going to sign off for the day here, but we'll be back basically tomorrow. We are going to slam into the top 20, which is going to be one of the best top 20s I've ever presented to you. So I am excited to bring it to you. So stick with me. Until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10 and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high quality, soft as heck, next level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.